0: Holy crap. All right, relax, everybody. (laughs) Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. What's the number one problem all businesses face? It's not sales, marketing, or product market fit. It's hiring. We know just how hard it is, so we've compiled 25 hiring tips from top CEOs that I've interviewed here on Growth Everywhere and put it into a free resource just for you. Text 25TIPS to 33444 to get the free resource now. Again, it is 25, the number 250. Tips, T-I-P-S-2, double double three triple four and you'll get the free resource. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Tomas Tungus from from Redpoint Ventures. He's a venture capitalist, and Redpoint Ventures has actually been around for 16 years. Uh, it's a venture capital firm with under three or... With over 3.5 billion, I should say, under management, and you know, really focuses uh, on early stage uh, growth startups. Uh, and you know, T- Tomash or Tom, I should say, focuses particularly on Series A, and also has a really great blog that I've I've just been telling him earlier. Um, saved a lot of his articles into my Evernote, and it's really good stuff if you're in the software as a service world because it's stuff that uh, you don't see a lot of different people talking about. So, uh, Tom, how are you doing today? Everything's great, man. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show, Eric. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, why don't you talk a little bit about kind of your background and what you do?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I've been at Redpoint for about seven years. I focus on early stage software companies. I work with companies like Expensify and Looker and Axial and a handful of others. Um, and Redpoint, we were investors in Stripe and Twilio and Heroku and lots of, and Infer and lots of other different um, software companies. Uh, before joining Redpoint, I was a Initially, I actually started in customer success, or what was called then operations at Google, um, and the ad side, and then I became a product manager, and I built some, a handful of different products. One was uh, internationalization products, so we were bringing AdSense to a bunch of different new geographies and new languages, Arabic uh, and Hebrew, actually, and then um, I was a product manager on the AdSense for Social Networks product, and uh, before that, I was a job engineer working at a startup in D.C., and before that, I was a founder of a legal software company.
0: Got it. Okay, you talk a little bit about the, the AdSense experience for a little bit. We're not going to touch upon it too much, but you know, how was that experience overall? I mean, what type of challenges did you face?
1: Yeah, it was really awesome. I was part of the Associate Product Manager Program, APM Program. It's a management rotation. Um, it's two years, and it's a program that Marissa Meyer ran, and so there were about 30 of us in that class. Was, I think it was class of 2007. And uh, it's basically two one-year rotations. I actually did both my rotations in the same product, which was AdSense for social networks. And uh, they basically kind of throw in the deep end at Google and give you lots of exposure to executives and, uh, and kind of help you swim uh, or uh, you've got to learn how to swim. And so you, you kind of do the day job. And, uh, and then they also have you do stuff that's important for the company, uh, kind of more broadly speaking. And my project there was... You know, at the time, uh, Eric, Larry, and Sergey wanted to review every major product inside the company once a quarter, and so it was my job to to go and figure out who was working on what, schedule those meetings, and then take notes in those meetings. So I learned a lot about all the different initiatives of the business, and it was uh, a ton of fun. And I met my wife there. Um, Actually, her second week, I asked her out, and then like a year and a half later, we were married. Wow. So it's (laughs) uh, an amazing gift. She still works there. Yeah.
0: Cool. Congratulations on that. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so... When it comes to venture capital, I mean, what's the, what's the typical VC batting average and what is yours?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't think there is an average. I mean, it's, um, VCs, it's governed by power law, uh, so like, you know, a handful of the companies each year make all, most of the returns, like, in 2012, if you looked at the IPO market, you know, there's $18 billion raised and Facebook was 16 of that, right, so it's one company. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's not really kind of a uniform distribution or Gaussian distribution. It's power law. So that's kind of hard to answer what the average is. Um, and mine right now is zero because I haven't sold a company yet. So I haven't put any points on the board. But uh, I'm really excited about the companies I have invested in. They're all growing really fast. So time will, time will tell. But it's still too early for me.
0: All right. Awesome. And how did you, I mean, you know, your whole track record, I mean, you know, being a founder and going to Google, I mean, how did you, what made you eventually get into VC? Yeah,
1: well, um, you know, I was, so when I was doing that thing with the project reviews at Google, uh, you know, I saw that the found, like, Eric in particular had this one really amazing trait, which is within 45 to 90 seconds of each of those projects coming to pitch, he could really identify what the most important failure mode of the project would be. So he would inevitably stop the presenter and say, hey, I don't want you to talk about that. I want you to talk about this. And that was equally true for Google Next Generation in Google Search. It was true for Android when Andy brought in the first uh, prototype of the phone. You know, we were talking about lots and lots of different kinds of uh, projects, and I really wanted to learn this skill. And um, and I thought, you know, there were basically three different ways of learning that skill. One was following Eric's path or something similar to it. The second was uh, trying to be a consultant and seeing lots and lots of different businesses. And the third was uh, being, you know, getting into venture capital where you could see, you know, hundreds of. If not that, hundreds of business plans a year, and you know understand how different sectors uh, worked. And I was fortunate enough that a recruiter reached out, made the connection with Redpoint, and uh, and then I joined seven years ago. Actually,
0: got it. Okay. Now, is there any like? well let me backtrack a little bit I mean when I look at your blog posts when i when I'm reading them, I'm always you know amazed by the first of all you're very concise right and then there's also a degree of uh you know financial and statistical acumen that um you know I would like to be at when I'm putting out these blog posts and also the graphs look really nice and simple too so it's like how do you you know if somebody wants to get to your point when it comes to you know quote unquote content marketing here i mean how how do how does somebody get to that point
1: I think it's um well, thanks. It's just a lot of practice. I started five or six years ago, and that ch- you know, if you go back in the archives and look at the old posts, like the charts aren't very pretty, and that's when I was just learning this charting library that I wrote about on Friday, and I, you know, it's like incremental, little by little. I just kind of learned it and learned it and learned it, um, and I just you know copied other people, and you know, cons- uh, brevity was really important. So when I first started writing, I read lots of books on grammar and how to write and i read a lot of hemingway because he's really concise and then there's like a bunch of other books like one is called like the glamour of grammar and um there's actually a great book that's written by the former editor of the new york times it talks about like sentence length and that kind of stuff and so i just i just really wanted to pay a lot of attention to the text and i you know i, I um actually another really great read on uh on this is there's a the book that all the consultants at McKinsey read that's called the minto pyramid principle and it's it's um it's really awesome. It's, uh, it was actually recommended to me by my manager at Google, who came from McKinsey, and it's just a way of like structuring arguments. Um, and so I think about that, you know how to outline an argument a lot. Um, but you know, I did the analysis on Google Analytics and I found that I had 47 seconds to get my point across to the reader. And you know if you're const- <laughs> I'm constantly thinking about that when I'm writing, and so uh, you know, journalists employ this notion of having an inverted pyramid get all the important stuff up at the top. And if you read the New York Times, you know, you'll definitely see that. So I try to employ
0: that as much as I can. Got it. Okay, cool. So I'm actually looking at one of the posts right now that I have saved here and the compounding effects or something around the compounding effects of content marketing. And yeah. there you have, you know, you have some statistics here, right? You know, the average is about 41% and then something 86%. And there's this crazy graph here. So on the statistical portion, where can people go to learn about that stuff? Because you talked about the writing portion, but how about the financial slash statistical portion of things?
1: Yeah, so I took a bunch of statistics classes in college um, and I think it was, it's the class I use the most by far. Uh, uh, there are lots of really good guides online, actually, um, uh, but I think you, I don't i don't remember them offhand, but if you pick up any statistics book, I think it will give you a really good uh, guide to statistics, like, you know, uh, sample size is really important, confidence is really important, and, like, in, in most journalism, it's not really discussed. Like People do a, a percentage difference, but they don't really look at the standard deviation, so you can't really tell whether or not it's significant in terms of statistics. But, um, but yeah, any really great statistics book is, is a good read.
0: Got it. Okay, and I'm, what are you using to graph this? Is this like Excel or...? No, I use. there's an open-source statistics package
1: that's called R.
0: Ah, um, R, okay.
1: Yeah, and there's a graphing library that was written by a guy named Hadley Wickham that's called ggplot2, uh, and I use that I actually posted about it on Friday, and so I put up the code that I use on the blog.
0: Got it oh, well, for all those content marketers out there, I mean, if you want to stand out, this is the stuff to to be looking into. Uh, this is how you do it so um okay, so the next thing I guess you know what is the the day in the life of you know uh Tom look like?
1: yeah, day in the life is uh it starts around four forty five uh we 've got two little boys, and so one of them inevitably wakes up really early, and then I write for like an hour, and then I go work out, I swim, uh, and then our family has breakfast around 7.30, and then I'm in the office right around like 8.15, and then, you know, the day is, what I love about Venture Capital being a partner at, at Redpoint is every day is different, so some days there are board meetings, and we kind of we dig into the strategic issues of the businesses that we invest in, other days we uh, have internal meetings where we talk about what's going on in the market, the themes that we ought to be investing in. Um, which is always a lot of fun. And then, you know, the majority of the time is spent meeting new companies and meeting people who either have points of view on new industries and who are industry experts or people who could be um, who are interested in finding new jobs and new opportunities within startups. And so, you know, then I go home for dinner around 5.30 and uh, put the kids to bed bath and then right around 7.30 start working again until about 9 and I go to bed.
0: All right, perfect. Well, that's great. Uh, yeah, I, I, it sounds like you can function on, on little sleep. I can't do that. Uh, so yeah, what are some of the themes that you're seeing right now? I, I know that stuff changes all the time, but it would just be interesting to hear your viewpoint.
1: Yeah, I think you know one of the really interesting themes, in I think there are two in software right now that I really like. One is um, software-enabled marketplaces. Xenefits, obviously, is probably the leading example of that. And the innovation there is people, those kinds of, of course, is probably another one um, I think there's a business we're investors in called Axial, which is the third. And basically what these companies do is they give software away for free in order to make money somewhere else, right? And um, is probably less of this model, and Quartzian and Zenefits are probably more, but like, uh, just to describe, Quartzian is a, imagine you're a, a researcher at a laboratory at a university. You've got all these different reactants, reagents, these chemicals that you use to put together to make experiments happen. and um, there's a software that manages the inventory levels of that. So Courty gives that software away for free and then they make money by just being a one-click refill button and they take some money on the, on the transaction there. And uh, obviously, Zenefits gives away their software to free, away for free to employers and then makes money on the lead generation for finding the right uh, healthcare insurance provider for a company. And that's a really innovative model. I mean, it, it gives, when you give the software away for free, you can grow really, really fast. And, uh, you know, in some sense, it has some similar attributes to open source software, which, you know, gives away software for free in order to make money on services uh, most of the time or some upsell. Um, And so that's a a theme we're paying a lot of attention to. There aren't very many sectors where this is applicable, so I don't think you're going to see a swath of these kinds of companies, but I do believe that when they do come about that you can build a very valuable and also an incredibly defensible business because it's very difficult to compete with Free software, and uh, the second theme is I spent well. The second theme is machine learning in in SaaS. Uh, I spent my graduate degrees in machine learning, and I spent a lot of time uh, working with engineers who were building machine learning models at Google, and um, it really works. Like uh, I saw it firsthand, and I think you know we saw kind of the first wave of like if you go back to two thousand four to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you really had kind of the first wave of software companies that were basically just taking on-premise software or ASP software and putting it into the cloud, right? Like Salesforce is your canonical example. And, you know, recently we've had, I think, uh, you know, the next generation of software companies, you know, SaaS companies look a little bit different. And, I, and uh, they're just far more sophisticated in the way that they acquire customers. And uh, and the, the software they're building is, is uh, much more consumer-friendly where they really prioritize UI and UX. And I think the third wave of SaaS companies are going to be the ones where, there's actually a bunch of machine learning behind, um, behind the software that helps you understand or improve your workflow, right? And we were fortunate enough to be investors in Relate IQ. I think that's a really great example where uh, one of the challenges that salespeople have in interacting with Salesforce, for example, is they really don't want to enter in the information. And so Relate IQ used machine learning in order to reduce the burden of entering that information uh, to great effect. And we use it internally and love it. So I think we're definitely going to see machine learning and artificial intelligence penetrate more of the different functional parts of the SAS
0: world. Uh, yeah. Great. Uh, we used to use Related IQ internally. Great tool. Um, well, just wish they didn't sell. <laughs> um, but, um, okay. So you think? I mean, Zenefits is, is, you know, a core example of, of what you were mentioning earlier. I mean, you know, $4.5 billion valuation now, right? So, um, what would be, okay, so they're attacking HR, um, insurance, that type of stuff, right? What other type of company do you think might, you know, apply or might be able to use that model?
1: Well, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I think this, uh, the SaaS marketplace model applies really well where they are intermediaries or brokers. Um, and there just aren't that many categories anymore where uh, businesses interact with brokers. Like it happens a little bit in travel today, but not so much. It definitely happens with insurance. You know, it used to happen on the consumer side with stock brokers, but, um, but a lot of those inefficiencies have already been captured or destroyed by startups. Um, so, we're, you know, I don't I don't have a great example to point to now. I think it's definitely an area we're paying a lot of attention to and trying to find the next one.
0: Wow. You just gave me an insane idea. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, that just totally changed the way I thought about something. Okay. Um, all right. So. You talk a little bit about, you know, the, the quote of the, uh, the, top, the title of the, the blog post is a surprisingly powerful mechanism for growing a, a software-as-a-service startup. What is it? Can you talk about that?
1: Yep, uh, that's negative churn. Um, and negative churn uh, basically means that uh, your customers pay you more with time without you having to do very much. And um, so let's just take a step back. When, if you have a customer who signs up for a subscription product and they leave, that's a churned customer. If you have a customer that uh, you know remains on the on using the product and pays you more, that's a you know a negative or a negative churn customer or an account expansion customer. And some businesses um, actually just to have a natural property about them, which is that customers just pay them over to pay them more over time as they use the product. Like Splunk is in this category, Box is in this category, you know Relics in this category, and the best in class guys, best in class companies. Their accounts actually expand something like forty percent per year, which basically means that you know at the beginning of last year compared to this year, the account is worth forty percent more. And if you're the founder of a business or on the management team of a business like this, or any employee, that means that you're if you don't do anything, your company is growing forty percent year over year. And uh, that's a pretty powerful growth mechanism. And uh, you know it's something that lots and lots of SaaS founders are. Uh, aware of and I think it's really the, the the motivating force behind all this investment and this interest in customer success because it's the customer success teams that help existing customers uh, get the most value out of the product and then also help upsell and cross-sell and and just drive usage within a company and um, you know I've, I've written about it before but um, the benefit of having negative churn is not just that the company is growing faster, but that the company actually needs substantially less capital uh, in order to hit the same growth rate. So it's far more capital efficient business, which means less dilution, you know, which means it's a very, very attractive business.
0: Got it. Now on the other side of things, uh, what churn is unacceptable at what churn, what churn percentage you look at and you say, okay, you know, we're probably not going to look at this deal any further.
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, it, it kind of varies by the sizes of your customers. So in the, if you start with the SMBs, it's like, it's pretty typical to kind of see two. Well, it's probably three to seven percent per month churn, right? And if you're around seven percent per month, you know you're really kind of talking about losing. Um, well, let me just make the calculation. You lose about half. You lose about sixty percent of your customer base a year, right? And those are really difficult software businesses to build. So in the SMB part, we're really looking for companies who can uh, keep monthly churns at ideally around 2%. If you go in the mid-market, and those are kind of average contract values of like 10K to call it 70K, but most of the time they concentrate around 20 to 50K, you really want to see you know 1 to 2%, no more than that a month. And then the enterprise, most of the companies are kind of at 0.5% or less.
0: Wow, okay. Yeah, I remember working on an online education startup and our churn was... Uh... <laughs> north of 10%. So, God, that's pretty tough. Yeah, it's a tough one. But th- my understanding, I mean, you know, back when we used to evaluate other competitors was, you know, the Lindas of the world had greater than 10% too. So I don't know how they survived. Do you have any input on that?
1: Well, in the consumer world, it's pretty different. Like most consumers aren't going to end up paying um, for a product for, you know, like it, for more than a year. I mean, I don't know what the Netflix lifetime, uh, the lifetimes are or, but like if, even if you look at gyms and that kind of stuff, the churn, are really high. Um, and so, the economics of a consumer business have to be pretty different than that of the software business. Like um, a consumer business, you have to pay off your cost of customer acquisition. It's typically within the first or the second month. And the gaming companies are probably the best examples of you know, really relentlessly focusing on those unit economics. You've got ClassPass and um, you know, Netflix and, and a handful of other consumer subscription services. You know, on the other hand, software companies tend to have at least year-long, most of them have like year-long, uh, contracts with their customers, and so they have up to twelve months in order to pay off the cost of customer acquisition and start generating contribution on the other side of it. So, um, so it's a little bit different, but uh, but yeah, uh, consumer rates tend, churn rates tend to be a pretty much higher.
0: Okay, cool. And what is maximum viable churn rate? Is that is that something that we covered already? I just have this written down here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's just what we were talking about. So okay. you know, I think um, you know the higher the churn. The more money you have to spend each year in order to keep your revenue the same, and uh, it's important for founders to calculate how much that is compared to how much cash they have on the balance sheet and what that means for the growth.
0: Okay. Now I know the social capital partnership uses the quote-unquote quick ratio to measure investments. Is there any type of ratio or method you use when evaluating an investment opportunity?
1: Yeah. Um, actually, I have a whole worksheet that I fill out during a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's all the, it's all the normal stuff. It's like. Uh, you know what? What does the growth rate look like? What is the average customer value? What's the size of the pipeline relative to the plan? Um, we look at actually. Let me pull up. Cost of customer acquisition, churn rate, sales efficiency, or magic number. Um, quick ratio isn't something that we look at, although it's probably worth adding. Uh, you know, key customers, that kind of stuff. Cool.
0: Yeah, we'll make sure to add all this stuff in the notes because I'm sure this is going to be a juicy one. Um, okay. So, you know, we've talked about all these metrics, uh, but I think I remember reading a post about, you know, the one best metric for your start to maximize. Which one is that?
1: Oh, uh, one best metric is probably going to be, uh, gross margin growth. Let's see. Uh, I think that's right. Um, Yeah. Engagement. I mean, I wrote a blog post about engagement, um, uh, which is the one best metric for your startup to maximize. And, uh, you know, the reason I said engagement is basically it's because engagement is a leading indicator for many different things. It's a leading indicator for uh, your own company's growth. It's also a leading indicator for product churn. And, uh, it's, a it's a great validation of product market fit, right? So if you're an early stage, startup engagement is, you know, is obviously one of the most important metrics.
0: Got it. So this is more targeted towards early stage, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay, perfect. Makes sense. Um, Okay, so, you know, from all the content marketing you've done, I mean, as a VC, what kind of benefits have you seen from it?
1: Uh, Well, it's, um, there's obviously lots of deal flow that comes from it. That's really awesome. Um, I meet lots of really interesting people. So it's also great for business development. And, uh, um, you know, it's just really nice to have. It's, it's also really nice just to kind of keep up relationships with people. You know, some founders come in and say, like, I feel like I know everything that's going on in your life because I read what you write about. And that's just, it's really nice to maintain that connection with different people. So it's, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. Cool.
0: And how I mean, how are you sourcing these, these big deals, you know, the Twilio's of the world and all those? How do those come in? Is part of it's through content marketing. What are some other unique things you're doing to source these deals?
1: Yeah, each one is different. I mean, a lot of it comes through relationships, and uh, we've built a bunch of different internal systems that actually identify fast-growing companies. Um, and so, you know, that's a big source of investment for us. We do a lot of um, it provide you know events of our own, and um, and then we do surveys. I mean, there's all kinds of different mechanisms in order source. I think there's not a real one consistent pattern.
0: Okay, cool. Now, tell us about one big struggle you faced while being in venture capital.
1: Time management. <laughs> so um, one thing I didn't appreciate before I joined uh, Redpoint was um, how much a venture capitalist job is, is like a, an enterprise salesperson's job. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, as a VC, we're working, uh, we're working to build relationships. Are The transactions that we Make during the year, you know, it's one to two investments per partner per year so that you know, they're, they're really long sales cycles. They're because it's all about building up relationships and they're very high value transactions. And um, as a result of that, you've got to figure out how to allocate your time properly, you know, making sure that you're supporting all your portfolio companies the way that you really need to, and then building up the network in order to find the next generation of entrepreneurs, and then also pro- processing and researching and diligencing all the opportunities and companies and startups that you're looking at now. And, and you know, um, when you find a really impressive company, you've got to kind of drop everything and, and, and chase, chase the company you're excited about. So managing all that um, and then finding the time to write and, and then also um, participating and helping uh, with internal initiatives, it's, it's a real challenge.
0: Okay. And what, I, what are like some things, some tactics, tactical things you're doing to kind of optimize and, and manage your time?
1: Man, uh, <laughs> you know, at the beginning I used to track my hours and I would figure out what my allocation was across all those different buckets and try to shoot for an optimal allocation. I think, um, that's really hard because it's almost impossible to know what an optimal allocation is. Uh, part of it is just that the feedback cycle is in venture are really long. Like you don't know if you're successful for many years. Um, And now I think it's, uh, you know, I've been reading these books about managing energy and so I, you know, just try to make sure I'm always energetic and upbeat. Uh, But I I don't think, you know, some some VCs, they allocate one day where they don't take any meetings and do all their work that way. I think that's probably an interesting, something I'll try in the next year.
0: Got it. Cool. what are some you know you look at the you know the show Silicon Valley and then you you look at the the startup world and you know the startup founders are you know the quote unquote rock stars right and it seems like the next step you know would be going into venture capital but I mean what are some drawbacks to being in venture capital that most people might not be aware of you know you just talked about time management I mean what else
1: I mean uh, you know I think it's a, I think it's a pretty great job if you want to be in Investing in, in the world of startups. Uh, I think, you know, if you one challenge that people who've been operators in the past who then moved to venture faces that either uh, I think they miss the operating world. You know, it's uh, it's a uh, venture capital. You don't uh, you you're a coach, not a player um, in a in a certain sense, and so that transition can be hard for people.
0: Mm. Okay. Hmm. Didn't think of it that way. That makes sense, though. (laughs) Um, All right. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self?
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, When I was 25 years old, I had just moved to California, and I was working at Google. And I would tell myself to relax a bit more. (laughs) Take it easier.
0: What's the story behind that? Well,
1: I just think um, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, Silicon Valley drives people really hard, and uh, it's easy to kind of forget uh, and lose perspective on stuff. And just, I mean, I just remember when I was at Google, I was working these crazy hours. Like, I was getting to the office at like five forty-five, and I was going to bed around one, and uh, or wow. something like that. Um, and and uh, so you know. One Christmas Eve, I ended up in the hospital. My mom, you know, had to take me to the emergency room because I had pneumonia, right? And, um, and I was just, <laughs> I was taking my life, I was taking my working life just way too seriously. Um, so I'd I probably tell myself to relax
0: a little bit more. Holy crap. <laughs> all right. Relax, everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, what's one productivity hack you can share? Uh, I use this
1: software. that's called Alfred and, uh, it's a Mac application and, uh, what I love about it is I do a lot of like LinkedIn searches, not do a lot of like compete searches or um, other kinds of searches, and they've got this thing where you can set up a bookmark. And so, in order to find somebody on LinkedIn, I just hit one keyboard shortcut, which pops up Alfred, and then I can type in L K, and I can search for Eric, and uh, and then it takes me right to Eric's profile with what? just a one click.
0: I use Alf. I've been using it for years. All I do it I use it for it is to open files and for calculations. I didn't know you can do all this other crap with it.
1: Oh yeah, there's like screenshotting, it's like there are all these extensions. It's it's really well designed. Wow. It's super, super well
0: designed. Yeah. I didn't know that. Huh. Well I know I can search like Google and stuff. I've never yeah, used yeah. it for that. Oh. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, you have my second vote on that. Uh, what's <laughs> one must read book you recommend to everyone?
1: Uh jeez. Um For founders. You know, one of the books that um there's actually a really great book uh, that's called How to Castrate a Bull. What? And Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's the story of NetApp, which is a, a storage company that mm. took off in the first dot-com era. And it's unusual because it's written from the point of view of the CTO. Most of, most of the business books are actually written from the CEO. Actually, yeah, most of them are from the CEO. Some of them, like Mark Roberge from HubSpot, is written from the point of view of the salesperson. But it's really rare to read a book uh, from a technical uh technical founder's point of view and uh and he just has like a bunch of really interesting perspectives and uh so I think that one 's definitely worth reading okay
0: great cool and it 's just to i mean for for just say you know a non technical person reading it it's it 's helpful to get that kind of you 're saying it 's good to have that point of view right
1: yeah i mean even for technical people to kind of understand you know his his journey and and how he's you know come came to understand you know, the you know, world outside of the technology world and what, this finite, you know, what the venture capital world is and, and how he perceived the IPO and all the different competitive dynamics. I think it's, uh, you know, for both technical people and non-technical people, I think it's just a, it's just a unique perspective that, that most founders will not have read in the past.
0: All right, how to castrate a bull. It's okay. got a
1: great title too, yeah. Cool,
0: all right. What's the best way for people to find you online?
1: Uh, I'm at tomtunguz.com. And uh, you can find my email there, my Twitter, and uh, that's a good starting place.
0: All right, everyone. This is Tom Tunguz from Redpoint Ventures. Make sure you check out his blog. I guarantee you are going to thank me for that because the, all the stuff there is gold. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much,
1: Eric. It was a pleasure.
0: What's the number one problem all businesses face? It's not sales, marketing, or product market fit. It's hiring we know just how hard it is so we've compiled 25 hiring tips from top ceos that i've interviewed here on growth everywhere and put it into a free resource just for you text 25 tips to 33444 to get the free resource now again it is 25 to number 25 tips tips to 33444 and you'll get the free resource